to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm in conversation with a certified sex educator, performer, poet. They go by Mix Eden, if you're nasty. Please welcome Jennifer Eden. Welcome to the podcast. That is one of the best (laughs) intros I have ever gotten. Yes, box that up and send it with me everywhere I go. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much uh, for coming on and and being a part of this this series of interviews. It's a... um, it's an ongoing conversation, so big shout out to you for being a part of it. Shout out to you for doing this, for keeping the convo going, for getting like multiple perspectives. I'm all about that. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, so as we, as we as we start off, I think um, you know people love talking about themselves. So <laughs> as we start off, can we get the the you know like the uh, the story, however long you want to put it? But what is the Jennifer Eden story, and what was your first experience with that the art of storytelling? Because that's another thing I didn't even include storyteller as well in this multi hyphenate uh, introduction. So I am a person who does not love talking about myself, but it is also a part of the grind. So here we go. I will say that I was introduced to my own story around the age of nine years old. Um, That was when I first remember being sexualized in my adolescent body. That's the first time I remember like receiving sexual attention or somebody really looking at me or wanting me in that way. And again, I was nine years old. I just happened to have a body that may have like bought me a couple of years um, in, in the higher direction. And so as I am getting older, I'm realizing that the whole like you look or act mature for your age thing is bullshit. And people knew that we were underage when we were being flirted with. And I say we because it is a common experience of many femmes. Um, But I remember learning very, very early on to equip myself with information. Mm -hmm. And so I read a lot of books. Um, I did not come from a household where questions were, were welcome with open arms. But I was lucky that oftentimes the answer that I got to my questions was go look it up. And Mm -hmm. if I could not look it up in the set of encyclopedias that we had in the basement, then my parents were more than willing to go ahead and get me a book. Shout out to my mom for getting (laughs) the little like 12 for a dollar or whatever books. Do you remember the things that came in the mail where you could just scratch, check off and you get the books or the CDs or the magazines? We were a book house. And so I ended up just getting a lot of books about uh, puberty and body development and attraction and gender and all of these things. And so as I was getting attention from boys and men, I also got attention from girls more so wondering how I handled this attention that I was getting. And also girls wondering how to get the attention that I was getting. That's not necessarily my ministry, but I'm all about helping people feel secure in who they are and how they desire to engage in pleasure. And so I think that, like I said, from a very early age, I've been very strong in who I am Mm -hmm. and what 
my narrative is. And I started writing poetry really early on. I didn't start sharing it until I was 16 years old at Warm Wednesdays. Shout out to Warm Wednesdays, an institution. If you were there for the era, you were there. And if not, you just have to hear about it in the archives. But like, I really came into my own as a storyteller at Warm Wednesdays and in like Baltimore's open mic scene because I was able to take these experiences and these thoughts and these things that I was trying to figure out about myself and give language to and put it into poetry. And luckily I was decent at it. So things about me, like my titties and my queerness and my experiences trying to figure out the world around me and how I made sense in it were actually affirmed through my poetry in a way that they weren't at school or at home or at church or at any of these other places where I was told to be myself but not really be myself. (laughs) Poetry was the place where I got to be myself and then from that I branched into hosting and organizing my own events, producing and really like creating spaces where other folks who are queer or femme or sexually liberated or kinky or wherever they fall in the spectrum of erotic identities um, can really hear stories and see narratives reflected that not only look more like their own, but like give them space to actually be like, oh, I'm into that. But when I do it, it looks this way or I use this thing or I call it something different. Like all of those things are valid. And I just want to be a conduit for giving other people space to define their own narratives, specifically their narratives around pleasure and eroticism and sexuality. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for the, for the introductory sort of like uh, talk and for the type of work that you're doing, because yeah, you, you, you know, you, you obviously already got the questions. You, you know, one of these questions I'm going to be asking later because, uh, um, for those who, who are undipped and unfamiliar with it, because we have these, I think odd and at times like really, antiquated like views on sexuality and even talking about it. So for those that don't get it or may not have have the knowledge base, what does a sexual what does a sex educator and a pleasure coach do exactly? You know, a sex educator and a pleasure coach, both of those titles are like very broad umbrellas that could be a lot of different things. Being a sex educator for me has shown up in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, Right now, I am a prevention education trainer for a nonprofit. So I go out into the community and talk about sexual violence prevention. And I talk about safe touch and boundaries and consent at age appropriate levels for youth. Um, That's definitely a part of sex education that a lot of folks leave out simply because it was not available to us when we were younger. So we don't think about how it really impacted us not having it. And we don't think about how it would impact future generations to include it in academia um, or in just like conversations that happen at your house, your auntie's house, the barbershop, like all of those places where folks are talking about sex, but not talking about it in like affirming and like self-guided ways. Um, I have also worked at a sex shop, which was tons of fun. 
but also the place where I really realized that like people don't be talking about sex. People just be doing shit. People really be out here just putting stuff in their partner's butts and just choking and slapping people without ever having a conversation <laughs> yes. about it. And I really, like I said, I'm all about creating space where people can figure out how to talk about the stuff that they need to talk about. Because if you want to put something in, in your partner's butt, you should talk about about it first and I feel like I've given that advice more times than I ever thought I would in my life but it was something that came up often when I was working at a sex shop and yeah. even now when I'm doing more like one-on-one or couple specific work a lot of times folks ask how do I tell my partner blank mm-hmm. and I'm like well you just told me what's the difference Mm-hmm. You just told me you wanted to try this thing. You just told me this is the porn you watch or, you know, how you identify or whatever. So what's the difference between telling me and telling a partner? And the answer is usually fear of judgment, mm-hmm. fear of consequence, fear of something being different in your relationship after this revelation or something being taken away from you because now you are seen as dirty or sinful or whatever we've been taught to call somebody who is simply standing in their own truth. And so I want to step back real quick because I feel like that same sex shop, I may have been hanging out there and may have met some friends there at one point. Uh, believe it's a type of sweetener is the name of this place. And you might be right about that. Uh, yes. And so there's for, for people that know me uh, relatively well, they would have heard me talk about being in the jungle out there in the in the wilderness, as it were, when I was just like casually dating. And one of the things I would do, I, I met a friend who happened to work there. So I was just like, I'm just going to kick it with you for like a shift. And I was like, yo, I have stories. I have things that I'm seeing. And literally that butt thing did come up in there where it was a guy, I believe there maybe with his, his I think it was his wife because they, they were talking about anniversary stuff. And um, he was like, yeah, do you like like this item? And she was like, it's whatever you like because it's going to your butt. I was like, wow. I was like, this is, this is what we're doing. And granted, this is a while ago. And I'm just sitting there like, figuratively clutching my pearls. And I was like, by the time I left, I was like, yeah, this is great. This is amazing. <laughs> it was so many trench coats that walked in there. <laughs> I had lots of pearl clutching moments <laughs> while I was working there. Um, but you know, you got to keep it profesh. You got to keep it together. You want to appear non-judgmental, which of course, like I'm not there to yuck anyone's yum. I'm not here to be judgmental or tell you something is like wrong or not for you or whatever. But what I am there to do is tell you how to do it safely and consensually. And so if you're not starting from a place of like wanting it to feel good or wanting it to like even be something that the other person involves wants or desires, then like we got to take a few steps back from purchasing the item. So let's like, let's talk about the conversation and the things that we need to figure out how to say before we just go doing stuff to people's bodies that they have not agreed to. Yeah, I, I feel like when you're in sort of those kind of like intimate situations, and we have a weird thing about intimacy in, in this country and this time. Um, but I think if you're intimate with someone or you have that sort of relationship or non-relationship and you talk to them more about tacos and burritos and pizza than actually what you're going to do with them with their bodies and so on. Hey. That's that's an issue right there that you might want to kind of, let's rewind a little bit and let's ground and level set and figure out, oh, so what are we doing here? Exactly. There's definitely like 
a whole lot of conversations that get missed. And to jump on something you were sharing, I think that Baltimore is a pretty sexually conservative city. Yes. And it might not appear that way because we got the block or whatever else that like folks want to point out as these like sexual hubs for the city. But one, like Strip clubs are not sex dungeons, no. contrary to popular belief. And also, like, somebody going to see a show, somebody going to, like, receive entertainment is not even necessarily a reflection of what their sex life looks like outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that even in trying to create spaces in the city because I do produce burlesque shows and kink events. And so even trying to tell venues that like, this is what I'm trying to do in your space. They're like, mm, burlesque sounds like naked and naked sounds like sex and sex sounds like dirty or immoral or illegal or something. I don't want to associate it with my venue. Yeah. But when it comes to DC and Philly, I don't have no problems. No shade to my city. Baltimore is my home hometown and I love it dearly but I will say that folks in DC and folks in Philly I have found are much more sexually liberated much more willing to like come together in spaces that are meant for sexual discussion and freedom and education and like really make dialogue around desire and pleasure a part of what we just talk about mm -hmm. not just where we about to go get something to eat or whatever like that's that's boring to me, especially if like you're actually trying to get down. Why are we not talking about it? Why are we not having conversation? I, I remember when when I was younger, because you know, I'm washed now, but when I was younger, uh, I used to have this nickname, like the definition, because I would always just find a way to work that into conversations because I was that version of nerd. I was like, yo, so you ever hear about this? Is that a real thing? Y'all do that? And I would just, you know, that's just conversation because I, I want to have this, this discourse around it is kind of like, what are people actually doing? Am I advanced? Am I behind? Am I just into some weird stuff? And I find as I've gotten older, people are talking about it in bated breath and hushed tones. And it's like, we're actually able to like do this with, with anyone and however we really want to with consenting adults and all of that good stuff. So, so, so why are we not like really talking about it as much? And I, I try to tackle it from what I know, doing podcasts and all. And I've had two different attempts at doing a sex ed podcast. And um, the, 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 both of them kind of had this, this inclination towards, you know, people of color. And because uh, I think the, the notion was we're, and I would have, um, I, I would be the, the, the guy that didn't know anything side of things. And the other person would be the educator. It's like, oh, you know something. You you can speak on this like literally with like scientific background and knowledge. I'm just saying, hey, is this real? And it, ultimately the goal was to inform folks so we're not hurting each other with in, in the pursuit of pleasure. You know, that was really the focus of both instances, but they weren't sustainable. It, it was It was really weird. It's just like, this is the thing that we're all into. To, to some degree. Yeah, you would think that there would be more of an audience for that type of conversation. And I will say that, like, the landscape has changed so much in the last five years. And I'll even say in the last two years, mm -hmm. the pandemic was a <laughs> wild time. And I'll say is a wild time because we still there yeah. um, when it comes to discussion around sex and sexuality. Only fans got popping during the pandemic in a way that really forced sex work into like a mainstream 
dream conversation. Also, I firmly believe that every femme was in a nude sharing text thread or group at some point in time during the pandemic, myself included. Femmes, if you do not have friends that you can share your nudes with and receive the verbal affirmation that you deserve to feed your ego and give you the confidence that you need to go out in the world and tackle racism and sexism and all of those things, get you some femme friends you can share your nudes with, okay? Because those groups got me through okay <laughs> Be, like being in the house not doing shit yeah. for the first part of 2020 i was going mad but having my friend shout out to the whole hive because my people yeah. like we really had days where like somebody would start off the day sending a pic like, all right, how y'all feeling? And then as the day <laughs> went on, as people woke up, because, you know, we wasn't on a schedule as people woke up, city over here, booty cheek <laughs> over there. Nice little creative lighting, little sensual shadow situation. It really like gave me the energy to get through on some days for yeah. my girls to just be in the thread like yes like appreciate yourself and that sounds fun like i mean there's not an equivalent of in in the circle of like out of context ball pictures i, I don't think i'm sending that i don't think i'm making I don't that thread. know how to make that sexy i promise you just, i have never received just. a sexy picture like a sexy nude from a cis man anybody i know who is born with a dick please Figure out how to take sexier pictures of it, okay? Because the ones I've received, they not it. I don't want the dick anyway, but you're not sending a picture that makes me even reconsider. It does not appear enticing, especially if it is sent unsolicited. Oh, Nia, yeah, that's you, you can't do thing. those. Can't do those. Mm-mm. Please do not just send pictures of your genitalia to people's DMs text, email, like none of those things. That's weird. That's wild. In some countries, it's illegal. So please do not just send unsolicited pictures of your genitalia. If you're going to send consensual pictures of it, make it nice. But have costumes. I mean, that's that's the thing that, look, when then this next business venture starts and I need to get a sponsor, it's like, yeah, we, we got like, I like hot costumes. That'd be great. You know, it's a little bow tie, top hat, the whole thing. It's, it's great. My homie makes hats and scarves <laughs> for the wintertime, okay, to keep <laughs> all the things warm. <laughs> so let, let's talk about storytelling a little bit. I'm skipping ahead. Um, so I read through poetry and storytelling uh, that y- you're, you're bringing a unique style of sensual edutainment, which I love, and wet humor, which is I also find great. Um, and it's, it, it makes it sound like sex is fun, which often it is not depicted in that way. And sex is entertaining and even even fun, even talking about it. So, so going back to it, like, how did you kind of like dive into that niche of making like that that edutainment and and really doing the humor? Because I, I hear it coming from you. You have like that that sort of energy that just really works. And when did you like really get into to where you're at now when did you come to that realization of this is how i want to go about this this is how i'm going to do this um because you you touched on a little bit of it i think with some of the restrictions here in baltimore and having to maybe venture to dc and philly so 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 tell me about that of where you're at now and this this sort of like part of your body of work you know i learned that i was sexy before i learned that i was funny If I had learned that I was funny earlier in life, that I could be places, okay? Not that Baltimore is not a lovely place to be, but I could have been sitting on some stacks by this point in my life, okay? But I think that 
making sex jovial, making it funny, makes it approachable. Mm -hmm. It makes it less awkward for folks to talk about. It creates a space where if I'm willing to make fun of myself Mm -hmm. or some wild experience that I had or some crazy shit that somebody told me, then that makes other folks more comfortable saying, well, this might be a dumb question, but since we all tee-hee-hee in here, (laughs) then let me just go ahead and throw it in the mix because they don't have that fear of judgment when we're all just collectively laughing, collectively being joyful and collectively like learning in a way that's hidden. Because let's face it, if I really said I'm going to lecture you on consent and boundaries, chances are you're not really looking to buy a ticket to that on a Friday or Saturday night. But if I tell you that we're going to have a burlesque show and that if you're sitting in the front row, you may very well get some titties in your face, but you don't get to touch those titties because those titties belong to the performer. And unless that performer gives you express position, permission, then you don't get to touch people. And guess what? That's how it works in real life too. When you were on dates, when you were on whatever dating app you have decided on, like, think about consent in that same way you think about it when you're sitting front row at one of my shows and there are brown booty cheeks in your face that you don't get to touch. You get to enjoy things. You get to find pleasure in things without touching them, without violating boundaries, without like being inconsiderate of someone's humanity. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what it all comes down to. Like we are all people with varied backgrounds and experiences and identities and traumas and things that brought us to where we are in this moment. And so, of course, you're not going to know everything that someone has been through, but you can start with a baseline of respecting someone's humanity. Yes. That's really the foundation of all of this interaction. I just happen to preach that message through sex and sexuality. But it's all about humanity. Yeah. I And it's funny. Like, I have this theory and I'm still working through it because it's every now and again, I see something that kind of informs it. And I see something that's like, I don't know if that's 100 percent. But I think the view at times and it's usually attached to people who have a certain degree of fame right um if you're you're famous then you're not deserving of humanity you got money you're not deserving of humanity you got something that someone wants you're not deserving of humanity that's the way it's depicted and then people kind of like poke away at it case in point if someone is like i really just need a break i'm at capacity you're rich get back on stage and that's it's weird that we, we we do that in many pockets and it's so wrong. And starting off as you were touching on with this baseline of humanity, like let's just start there. I think more people need that message outside of it being related to sex or anything. I think the same thing happens at the opposite end of the spectrum, too, where we think that if someone is poor or not right. living yeah. a lavish life, then they are not entitled to pleasure or joy or rest. And so part of my work specifically, because I know that a lot of folks do not have $200 to go out and buy the latest vibrator on the market or $500 to go buy custom sex furniture Ooh. or leather gear <laughs> or whatever, like... 
you you got a couple of dollars to go to your local Target or dollar store or hardware store and find some implements that are safe, a paint stirrer, a spatula, some zip ties. Be careful with the zip ties, though. They can break the skin. But like there's all sorts of ways to open up your pleasure experience in financially accessible ways. Chances are you got a rubber spatula in your kitchen right now. And that feels lovely on the skin. Just saying. So I really think it's important to let folks who don't have a whole bunch of money and don't have a whole bunch of time because they're working, trying to make money to keep up. Like it's important for folks on that end of the spectrum as well to know that like pleasure is not only something that you deserve and should have access to, but it's really what, what keeps you going and what makes life worth living when it seems like all you're doing is clocking in and clocking out. All you're doing is like waiting for the bus or the train. Yeah. All you're doing is like picking up and dropping off kids. Like, no, the pleasurable experience are, is the thing that makes you want to keep going and want to keep doing the stuff that you have to do because the things that you want to do are the things that really bring you joy and life force energy. Absolutely. 100%. What sorts of, and this is, this is interesting for me. Um, what sorts of, obviously all of it's interesting, but I want to at least have special interest on this one. What kind of questions or challenges like are addressed, like from, from your vantage point, you can speak for your own experience. Um, but what sorts of challenges, questions are, are asked, um, like that you're, that you're commonly like, like answering, like in generalities, obviously that you're like asking, like, you know, is it, you know, how do I do this? And I think you touched on it earlier of like, why don't you just talk with the person about that? You talked, you told me about it. So <laughs> what sorts of things that, that people are usually coming to you talking about, um, and like kind of trying to seek advice on or seek like education around or coaching around? So most commonly somebody is asking, how do I tell my partner blank? My second most common category of questions is when do I start talking to my kid about sex? Mm. And my answer is usually something along the lines of way before you ever think they're thinking about sex, because the conversation is always relevant. It's it's always age appropriate. You just are tailoring your language and specificity as a kid gets older. So when a kid is two or three or four years old, when you catch them in the bathtub reaching for their own private parts or when you see them like humping a toy or the edge of the couch, you're not going to slap their hand or tell them, no, that's wrong. You tell them that's something you do in private. Like you have to have conversations about appropriateness rather than restriction, Mm -hmm. because those are the things that stay with us into our adult life. And whether we actually remember it or not, it is ingrained into our psyche if somebody slapped our hand away when we tried to touch our own body or when we asked a question about exploring our own identity somebody said no that's wrong or we don't do that in this house or this family and so it's really important to be able to have age appropriate conversations about boundaries and safe touch and who to trust who you can be naked in front of and who not to like it's totally appropriate to tell a kid that like well when you go to the doctor's office they might ask you to take your clothes off and that's medically necessary but if you are at school or at a friend's house and somebody asks you to take your clothes off that's not necessary so you might want to call a parent a guardian 
guardian if that is something that happens. And so all of those things lead up to being able to have safe and comfortable conversations about actual sex acts when that is relevant. But consent and boundaries and safe touch are relevant well before sex acts are discussed. Absolutely. So I got I got two more real questions. And then uh, I got those rapid fire questions for you. So that's what I'm here for, <laughs> baby. Let's get into it. So I, I want to talk about the education uh, piece of it, like in in terms of be, becoming certified in, in uh, sex education and um, and th- in, the, in the work that you're doing. Ultimately, what goes into that? Describe like that process, because I, I don't think people have a sense of like what it takes to like, like I can talk about this and I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There are so many different paths into sex education. I feel like everybody within my own little network has come to it differently. Some folks in like a traditional academic route where they went to school to be a sex therapist or a marriage and family therapist or a somatic sexologist, like there's all sorts of academic ways to sex education, but there's also lived experience routes. There's also just having a lot of sex, then like creating actual like language and dialogue around what you're doing. There's also reading books, like go to your local library. They're still open and they're still free. It's amazing. <laughs> Lots of them have banned books around sexuality, yeah. especially if they have anything to do with like queerness or gender variants or anything. But like there's books out there. There's resources out there. There's a ton of free resources out there to just equip yourself with this knowledge. And there are paths to different levels of certification through different organizations, um, different, some uh, academic programs have like more accessible certifications so that if you're not able to go the master's route or the PhD route, you can pursue a certification or different like continuing education credits. Or There's just a million different ways to get into this work. And I think it's really important for anybody who wants to get into sex education to figure out what it is that they're trying to say. If you're getting into sex education to teach anatomy and physiology, that's a different path and a different level of interest than teaching somebody how to like give a great oral session. Like though that's still education, but two different mentalities that bring you to either of those paths. And so like, just figure out where you are, what you're interested in, and then what it is that you want to know and say about it. And also like connect with folks. There are so many amazing black women in sex education, so many black queer people who are making it a point to take their own lived experience and their own gender journeys and using it as a way to say, hey, there's so many more options than what we were taught. Everything is not for everybody. Maybe you feel great in the identity that you were socialized into, but if you don't, that's okay. And you can live a full and happy and pleasurable life. And here's some tools and language to maybe get you there. Like there's so much and like shout out to everybody who is really like making that shit accessible. It's making my work easier because y'all are doing it too. So shout out to y'all. Um, so here's, here's the last real one. Um, what was your first time on, on stage performing? 
about to say, like my first time, what, Rob? We personal. I definitely had that pause in there. I wrote the pause in there, which I thought was really funny because <laughs> I'm a ridiculous person at times. But yeah, what was your first time like performing on stage? What was it like? Uh, where was it at? What was, so so set, set that stage for us. The first time I remember performing was at Warm Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. I was 16 years old. I believe you were supposed to be 18 to get into the venue. But once again, shout out to the titties because they got me into the venue. (laughs) So I know that I had been there several times before I actually got on the stage. And I think I got on stage a couple of times before I did this particular poem. But the Mm -hmm. first time I remember thinking to myself, I'm a poet was when I got on stage and I performed this piece that I still perform to this day. It is called Ode to Femmes. And it is my love letter to women and femmes who have to navigate looking straight, even though we are not. And I say that because I came out at a very young age. I I was like 15, 16 at the time that I was like, oh yeah, girls are where it's at. And like the language that I've used to describe my sexuality has evolved throughout my life. But I realized that even when I used the language that I had at the time to describe my sexuality, even when I wore my little rainbow belt or ring or whatever insignia I had at the time, it wasn't much like... (laughs) There's lots more rainbow and pride apparel now than there was all that time ago. But even then, it didn't help because when a man decided that they had their sights on me, especially in these poetry settings, they didn't care how I said I identified. So I wrote this poem to explicitly say how I identified, but also to affirm that like, hey, Femmes, our sexuality is valid. We don't have to look like anything for us to be attracted to the people that we're attracted to. We don't have to signal. We don't have to flag. We don't have to present or dress in any particular way for our desires and our sexuality to be valid. And I just remember like getting all of the mm and the yes and the like <laughs> finger wagging from the audience. And I was just like, oh my gosh, somebody understands this somebody relates to this somebody thinks that my experience is not only valid and real but worthy of applause and that was such an affirming feeling because i'm gonna say it here people don't believe me but this is a baltimore podcast so i'm certain that somebody's gonna listen to it and be like oh yeah i'm guilty i was bullied like hell in high school and even in college people were not nice to me at all people made fun of me because of my body because i was light-skinned because i was a little thick in the waist because i was perceived to be a hoe because of my body because i had closer relationships with boys than girls because girls were scared of dykes they thought we were looking at them in the locker room so they didn't want to be friends with the girl that they knew was out and so yeah I had a lot closer relationships with dudes who also liked girls it made sense in that way but like I got a lot of negativity about simply existing in my body and in my identities and in my truth and so I vividly remember the first time that somebody clapped for it And that's a feeling that I never want to live without. 
I love performing. I love being on stage. I love hosting. I love incorporating my experience into education because lived experience is education. Academia is not the only way to learn. Books are not the only way to learn. The stuff that you have been through, that's all teachers too. And so being able to share my experiences in my hosting and in my poetry and in my teaching makes some of the bullshit that I've been through worth it, to be honest, but also really makes it feel like I'm supposed to be on stages. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And thank you. Um, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, going back through the, uh, the archives, if you will, <laughs> of like just how we got here and how, how you got here ultimately. And, um, so yeah, thank you for indulging me in there. Um, so now it's that point of the show where we, we wrap up with the fun, well, with the real questions and get to the fun questions. Um, I'll, I'll put it this way. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. Uh, so let's see. Um, I got, I got four of them for you. All right, let's do it. I don't get nervous, but I'm a little, I'm a little sitting on the edge of my seat because I don't know where we about to go. No, I'm going to add a fifth one to this. I got a fifth one now. Yeah. All right, so out, and so not necessarily within like your your work or what have you, but you know you can take it wherever you want to take it. Um, what is the most common question you're asked? Like, what is something that people just re- this like will ask you in conversation? Um, it could be related to just like how you present, how uh, w- w- maybe how you go about certain things. Not necessarily your work, but how do pe- what do people usually ask you? People ask me all sorts of very invasive questions about my personal <laughs> sexual practices, wow. which in most settings I will absolutely share because I'm just that person. Uh, but people will often ask me how I attract the people that I attract, Um, which like, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm just a vibe. People dig it. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, it's always like, a well, how did you, like, how do you find people who are into the type of sex that you're into having? Or how do you find people who like see gender and sexuality as expansively as you do? Of course, they don't use such like flowery social justice language. They usually say things like, well, how do you find studs who let you fuck them? Um, So (laughs) I, I don't know how to answer that question they find me is the answer that's that's it that's all i've got that's amazing um with this it sets up the next question very well what's a femme daddy oh a femme daddy is me honey a femme daddy is someone who was socialized into femininity someone who was either assigned female at birth or somebody who like grew up as a girl um who embraces their masculine energy in a way that is nurturing and pleasure giving and really just a conduit for beautiful experiences. Um, it can show up in how I dress. Sometimes I dress more masculine. I have a badass floral suit that I cannot wait to wear. Um, sometimes it shows up in me opening doors and pulling out chairs. It shows up in me like saying good morning and greeting people as we walk down the street, which like I've noticed is a very masculine perceived thing to do. I say good morning to strange men all the time and they look at me like I called them gay. 
hey, you say good morning to me, nigga. Like, it's, it's just polite. But the way that it's received makes mm-hmm. me think about how people are socialized and how, like, men feel entitled to access to women and telling women to smile and greeting them and expecting a response in a way that, like, they don't expect to give. So I like to turn that on its head and really make men think about like the way that they interact with women, but also receiving some of that care, some of that nurturing. Like it's okay to smile sometimes, daddy. It's all right, bruh. You don't have I mean, to be so hard all the time. You can let go. I mean, I I, I, I might have a nickname on a jersey, a little wave daddy situation there, because apparently I got daddy energy. Daddy. Uh, apparently I got daddy energy. I don't know. But I will say this. Um yeah, when that flip happens, dudes don't know how to really deal with it. Uh, I've, I've been party to seeing like goofy things happen in public, and I'm like, I don't be talking to people. So I do, I say to them what they've kind of said to the person, but I make it worse. So it's like, yeah, baby, let me come over there and talk to you. And I was like, how about I go over there and take you in that alley? I, I do that because exactly. I'm like bigger than them. Because that's <laughs> very much the energy. That's very much the path that we're on, sir. And I just make it like worse. And they're like, nah, bro. It's like, exactly. But on the other side of it, I'll say like my, my partner who she's, she's a lot short. She's, she's tiny. And like, like I'm six, four. So she's like five, two. And I remember it was one time she was like, yeah, um, we meet at eight, put on something nice. So I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Whatever you need. What else you need? <laughs> it was just, it was, a, it was a new energy. Nice. It was a new energy for me. Um, so here's the next one. Uh, favorite flavors. We all have different flavors we're into. Take that however you want to take that. What 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 types of flavors are you into? Like I like lime. I like lime um, and whiskey. You know, I like to have that as part of that whiskey kind of drink. That's how I make my drinks at times. So, what are your favorite flavors? I love chai. I drink so much chai. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I guess the way that a lot of people like drink coffee all day long, that's how I am with chai. I put a little bit of almond milk creamer in it, a little dash of cinnamon on top. That's a secret recipe. Don't tell nobody. But like (laughs) chai is the thing that just, oh, it's pleasing to the palate no matter Mm. what time of day. Mm, Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feel feel like there could be a little colorism there, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, what was the last movie you watched? What is the last movie I watched in its entirety without falling asleep on it? Is the question. It was not something new. I watched the same movies over and over again. I think the last movie that I watched was Gypsy. It is a movie that came out in like the 50s or 60s like the the advent of technicolor um but it's a movie about gypsy rose lee she was a child star kind of raised in her little sister's shadow and then once the sister decided she didn't want to be the main attraction anymore um gypsy is what she came to be known by um became the star of the show and eventually became a very well-known burlesque dancer and so the movie is about like her evolution into that role as a burlesque dancer but also the relationship between her and her mother who was like very very stereotypical stage mom and then also like the sibling rivalry dynamic um, and also a lot of the ins and outs of show business and the sacrifices that folks make for their success in that way Um, and then it's like a historical commentary on like vaudeville and 
variety shows and like the origins of burlesque. And uh, it's one of my favorites. Gypsy, look it up. I think it's on HBO Max. 1962, Natalie, what is the star? Yes. So it's the last one I got for you. Um, and I, I, I think you might go get where I'm going with this, but I don't know. Uh, what is the most powerful word in the English language? Yes. So that, that's, there you have it. Uh, <laughs> so I think that's a good spot for us to stop on this podcast. I thank you for being a part of this podcast. And uh, um, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, your work, to follow you, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Please connect with me on social media at Pleasure Over Everything. That is my mantra, my affirmation, and my business name. So Pleasure Over Everything, Pleasure Coaching and Sex Education. Um, I am available for trainings, for consults. I love going into businesses and organizations and folks see me in the email brief seeing that I'm a sex educator and they're like, oh, wow, this is going to be the best professional development I have ever received. And you're right. It will. Cause I'm really good at my job, but please connect with me. Pleasure over everything on Instagram, pleasure over everything.com. Those are the main ways to connect with me. I really cannot keep up with any of the evolving social media. Uh, TikTok is not my jam. It's just <laughs> too much to keep up with. I am that age. Yes, I sure am. I'm okay with that. I'm very much okay with deciding that like this is where technology ends for me. I think I have enough in that regard. <laughs> Abundance is beautiful, but so are limits. So are boundaries. So there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Jennifer Eden for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is pleasure in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.